0: My name is Tom. Uh, I had the privilege of leading the the eldership, but I'm based mainly here in the south, which is a joy, a joy indeed. Um, Today, we are continuing our series uh, entitled Eternity. Uh, Last time we were together looking at this, we were focusing particularly on on the topic of the new heavens and the new earth. Do you remember that? And uh, today we're going to continue that because the reality is, I think I speak on, I'm sure on all of our behalf, (laughs) in an average day or week or month, I'm sure very few of us genuinely spend serious amounts of time meditating deeply on what the new heavens and particularly the new earth are going to be like. So today we're going to be looking at more of it. We're going to be going deeper on that issue, particularly today though, looking at the subject of what the new earth will actually be like. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, Therefore, I love this, preparing your minds for action. I think we've got that uh, on the slide if you haven't got your Bibles, but don't worry, we're going to be looking at various scriptures today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. I love that phrase. He's not saying preparing your bodies. He's saying let your minds be ready for action. It's this idea of like, if you're a little bit mentally lazy or mentally just overwhelmed by life, then you will genuinely be at a significant disadvantage. Let's put it that way. As God wants us to develop in the Christian faith, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when... At the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's an amazing verse. That is an amazing verse. It's saying, oh city church, make sure your mind is set for action on the grace that will be revealed, on the hope that will be revealed on that day when Jesus Christ returns. What he's saying is, to the church then and to now, he's saying, listen, your mind is the battleground. Your mind will either be consumed with things that are you know, relatively important, or I want you to develop increasingly an ability for your minds to be active, not lazy, not overwhelmed, but prepared for action. Particularly, he says here, about this incredible moment when Jesus Christ returns, the revelation of Jesus Christ when everyone sees him and the grace that that then will be received and will be revealed i.e. that Jesus is who he says he is, and he really is about making a new heavens and a new earth. Get your minds ready for that. Get them ready for that is what he's saying. Because the reality is, the reason he says this, is that for the, the honest truth is, for, for many of us, we, we might hear it sometimes preached, as we have done recently. But honestly, so many of us don't really believe it. And I'm sympathetic. I, I struggle to believe it when I think about these kind of weighty things. I struggle to believe it because the world that we live in absolutely bombards us with a rationalistic mindset, with a materialistic mindset that this this world is only about rational things that make rational sense. And the idea that Jesus is going to come back, make everything new, and he's going to wonderfully reign and rule in this new heavens and new earth, it sounds like something out of Harry Potter or something, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. And yet as Christians, we we know that actually, repeatedly, the return of Jesus is mentioned no less than 300 times in the New Testament alone. It is a massive theme, and it is massively neglected by the church, particularly in the West. We have to be those who realize it's not just a question of even believing it. It's understanding the implications of believing it. What we, we see in the New Testament is that the more you believe and understand what the Bible says about what eternity will be like, the more it has profound, immediate, practical uh, consequences for how you view everything, from how you view your job, how you view your marriage, how you view your body, what you eat, when you get sick, how you become a parent, how you handle singleness. The Bible says that actually everything Everything in our now life only really clicks and makes sense the more we dwell on what eternity will be like. But for most of us, we spend our lives just consumed with this life, sort of backing into death, backing into eternity, with no preparation. And so, to be honest with you, it's impossible. I mean, as bold as to say that, it's impossible to make wise decisions in your life every day unless your gaze of your soul is more and more on that perspective. It's impossible. Unless you know what the end game is, you can't play the game well, right? That's, I mean, I, I'm not. You know, it's just obvious. But I know Tom Shaw is the biggest offender of it, the biggest offender. And this is a particular challenge for us, is that when we think about eternity, often we we can oversimplify it and think that it will simply be about... Well, we can sort of read the Bible and think, because it says eternity is this eternal thing and it's infinitely more important than your life now. What we can do is wrongly conclude, therefore, that our life now is almost of no consequence. Sometimes if we over-emphasize, as it were, or not over-emphasize, but if we clumsily think about what the Bible says about eternity, we can often, we can wrongly conclude that therefore the now is actually irrelevant Do you know what and I know this is in my head this is the way I've, I've slipped into wrong thinking on this just to be honest is that I've so emphasized eternity it's like well this life is a vapor it's just a mist which is true it's biblical in terms of length but this life is short but it doesn't mean in a sense there's two things here it doesn't mean that this life is entirely different to the next life and secondarily it doesn't mean that this life is disconnected with the next life and that is massive because if you think your your life before you die is like first year of university, right? Which doesn't count. hey, Party! If you think that, well, Tom says it's all about the next life, right? The Bible just says this life is just here and then gone, so who cares? The problem, what we're trying to emphasize is the next life is very, very long. It's eternal. But what the Bible doesn't say is, is that it's like, therefore, this life isn't, isn't important. And actually, that this life, you can't know anything about that life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's that this life is actually, in many ways, there's huge continuity between the life we have now and the life that will happen one day. And secondarily, there are huge, wonderful, glorious expressions of what the life will be like right now. And so you view this life very differently when you see that. Let me give you a little illustration at the heart of this. We're going to think about today about the new earth. I don't know If you've ever heard a sermon on the new earth, prepare yourselves. Here we go. I'm going to do my best. The fact that in simple terms, the Bible is, it talks about the earth that we live on and that we're going to share it for eternity with all Christians and with Jesus. It's amazing that the new heavens and the new earth will be no longer in some sense separated, but they'll be brought together. But here's the big question. Does the Bible teach that with the new earth, it will either A, be effectively scrunched up and done away with or will it be somehow renewed and gloriously upgraded? Now, this is you might think, does it really matter? I tell you what, the more you think about this, the more it impacts everything. Is God going to completely do away with this earth and start with something that you can't even comprehend? It's so different. And so you might as well just kind of, you know, put your feet up and just think, well, this this whole world is going to to destruction anyway, so who cares? Or do we actually realize that the Bible, well, you can see which way I'm leaning here. Does the Bible, let's have a look at this today, objectively, does the Bible say something different? So, for example, let's do a really simple illustration. We, as a church, were looking at buying a building, the AdScene building, a big sort of office block thing, uh, printing house thing. uh, And either we were going to demolish it and rebuild completely new. Or we were going to lovingly go through it and see which bits of it actually were, were able to, as it were, make the next season of its life and radically renew it, as it were. And, and uh, what's the, word, the, the phrase? Refit it and basically do something within, within the existing framework. Now listen, if we were going to destroy it, you wouldn't care about that building at all. If it got graffiti on it, if the windows broke, if the heating didn't break, you wouldn't care. It's just going to go anyway, Right? And many of us Christians can think of this world like that. You can think of, well, it doesn't really matter what we do with the environment or with our bodies or about my relationships. If my relationships are in tatters with the people around, it doesn't really matter because it's going to make it all new, right? And we can actually have, it's just about spiritual things, Tom. It's just about spiritual things. And we can have a totally wrong view of actually how the Bible views things. Or if we have... a a, a view of what the new earth is going to be like, actually that God is going to radically renew it and redeem it and make it new, then what that means is you look around the earth, you look around the building with love and care, and you see it as something valuable. So that's where I want to go today. I want us to try and do our best to prepare our minds for action, okay? I'm doing something I... I hope is a little adventurous. I want our brains to try and think about what the new earth is going to be like. Not just so you can get, oh, that's a nice lecture, Tom, because my honest conviction is, I, I can honestly say this week, as I've been meditating on this, I genuinely have then been living every moment, not every moment, lots of moments of my day, really differently. Saying, as I walk up my path to my shed, as I smell that fresh, beautiful smell in the morning, as I see the guinea pigs in their little hutch, as I see the grass and the trees, Lord... What will will the new earth be like? Will will those smells still be there? Will will those animals still be there? I'm not going down that road today. I don't know, okay? I love Jessica. And I love Peachy. But I don't know. I can't be sure. I hope so. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you. You're here. You love us. And you do speak to us clearly through your word. And you want us to actually become worshippers of you because you're preparing a place for us that is amazing. And you want us to live now as if that is actually happening. It's starting, it's beginning. Amen. Two things I want to do then today. Number one, I want to convince you and then, number two, I want to captivate you I, I want both your head and your heart okay i 'm going after you today. I want this to be something that changes every area of your life because I believe that is what we see again and again in the bible so if you 've got a, a bible turn to revelation twenty one this is a stunning a stunning bit of scripture as i mentioned the the uh the subject of jesus 's return is mentioned over three hundred times in the new testament alone it 's massive but this particular portion of Scripture is so, so huge. What do Christians believe? You might not be a Christian here today. You might think that we're crazy. Well, let's see what Christians believe. So, first of all, then I'll look at this central question that really underpins everything. Do we take the view that God is going to literally get rid of planet Earth and completely, as it were, do something totally different? Or actually, is it going to be A radical renewing. Okay, a couple of verses then, first of all, that lead many, and if I'm honest, me, to think for a long time, more of that first camp. More of that first camp. First of all, you see, for example, here, Revelation 21. This is the Apostle Paul, sorry, John, having a revelation in the spirit of what the new heavens and the new earth are like. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away the sea was no more. Now, first of all here, we see these words that it says a new heaven and a new earth. So, you could read this and think, oh, you know, John saw it. He saw this new heaven, but he saw a new earth. So, if it's new, it must be, the old one can't still be around, right? Yeah? You can see the logic? Because it's a new one. It's different. It's going to be completely different and no continuity with the existing earth that right now we are based on. Okay, that's one particular scripture people use. Another one is Romans 8 where it talks about the whole of creation groaning. It's a fascinating phrase. It says that the the earth is groaning. The creation is groaning. Now, um, often we can read that and we could easily think, well, you know, groaning is clearly a, a negative thing. The earth is in pain. It's groaning because it's, it's so infected with sin and all of the, the, the things that have gone wrong with this world. Clearly, the fact that it's groaning is also a sign that one day God will put it out of its misery and the earth will go and we'll have some other celestial experience, but it certainly won't be on this groaning, rather depressing earth that we live on. Okay, That's kind of one other scripture that often people use. 2 Peter 3 is another one. It talks here in broad terms Peter here says, prophesies that the earth will be, will, will, be, will be destroyed, I think it says, destroyed with fire. The same, yeah, it says, by, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. That's it. Stored up for fire. Again, we can read that and think, well, I'm no you know, genius, Tom, but surely if the earth is stored up for fire, doesn't that mean that God is really like, oh, this earth is just a nightmare? and I'm just going to, you know, whack it in the furnace, and it'll all be gone, and then we can start again. Phew. Now, I'm slightly oversimplifying, of course, um, for the sake of time. But you can see that huge swathes of Christianity are actually fundamentally along this line, that we've just got to kind of hold on, and then one day God will do away with everything, and then it will start again. I want this kind of thinking does is it can often lead to a kind of sloppy approach to the now. What it means is you have a very sloppy approach to things like the environment. Now, I'm no kind of you know, Green, Greenpeace protester man, but the reality is, as I've studied this, I've been pretty convicted, if I'm honest, about how we treat the earth. But if you, if you think that the earth is just going to be completely new in the sense of something radically different that wasn't even there, who cares what we do right with the oil? Who cares what we do with the rainforest? It leads to Christians having very sloppy attitudes towards so many areas of their life, the environment, their bodies. To be honest with you, even towards sin and physical things that they think are not really that important because it's all going, right? That is a very classic um, particular emphasis that Christians, some Christians, would have in terms of what's going to happen at the end. However, I am not personally persuaded that that is quite what the Bible says. Now, clearly, there is going to be some kind of end time event that has some kind of feel to what I think these kind of these scriptures are leading at, uh, leading up to. There is going to be some absolutely real judgment that the Bible talks about and is totally real. But my honest conviction is this is that with all those scriptures and other ones, it is just, to be honest with you, a clumsy reading of them to automatically assume that the earth that the Bible talks about, that we will be on for eternity, will not be very much connected with, shall we say, the the existing earth that we're on right now. So, for example, in that Revelation passage where it talks about a new heavens and a new earth, I'm told from um, commentators that the same word for new is used in a, an earlier section of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In that passage, it talks about, talking about Christians, it says, you are a new creation. Now, if you're a Christian here today, let me ask you, are you, do you bear any resemblance to the non-Christian that you used to be? Yes, you can say, yes, Tom. That's the answer. Yes, we, yes, we do. We look pretty similar. Um, uh, I don't want to be crude. There's various things that you'll do that are very similar, to, what, if not the same, that you used to do. You'll have the same voice. You've probably got the same hair. Um, you, you are in many ways similar. Now, at another level, you are gloriously different. You are. There is a newness that is real and wonderful, and you suddenly start to love God and love people in a way that is a profound miracle. But in that passage, when it says you're a new creation, clearly there's a massive continuity, right? between who you physically were and were before you became a Christian and who you are now. So it's very possible then, when he talks about, I saw a new earth, that rather like us as Christians individually, that the new earth that John saw was totally, radically, wonderfully new and different, but it was very much, in a sense, continuous with what we have right now. You guys staying with me here? Making sense? Okay, great. Stay with me with your brains because it is worth it. Romans 8 talks about the groaning passage, right? It's a classic. But the passage also says, earlier on, it talks about the fact that type of groaning is as of a woman in childbirth. It doesn't say that groaning as like a, an old person who's just about to die with no hope, and they're just going. No, no. It's, it, it's a, a real pain. You see, someone who is dying has real pain. A woman in, in, real, in childbirth has real pain. They both have pain but one type of pain is leading to the end of something, the other type of pain is leading to the beginning of something. Do you understand that? That is massive. It's stunning. This earth is groaning. We are groaning with it. We're all groaning. Metaphorically, it's saying. We're groaning. We say, oh, I love this world, but there's something not quite right with it. And the earth and the leaves and the trees are somehow doing that as well, is what Martin Luther said. He says, I think every atom is somehow infected by this. Every atom is groaning somehow, but not because it's going to all end in a, in a horrible, destroying type of annihilation way, in a way that something actually new will come out of the old. Something will be birthed out of the existing. Now, this, the more that this gets into your head, you might think this, is, this changes how you live. It changes how you live. And even in that 2 Peter passage where it talks about fire, think about it. Actually, fire does destroy at times, But fire sometimes refines. It burns up wood and hay and straw, but do you know what? It refines gold. It doesn't necessarily mean that the earth will literally be consumed. And in fact, in the same passage, not to get too technical, he talks about actually the earth being destroyed when the the rain came in the time of Noah. Well, the earth wasn't actually literally destroyed, but he's using language to describe a cataclysmic event. But still the earth was there. Now, you say, why is this relevant? This is so relevant and glorious. Because it, what it means is, well, what it means is this. Let me read this wonderful comment by a guy called Anthony Hakima, a famous man. He said this, If God would have to annihilate the present cosmos, Satan would have won a great victory. Satan would have succeeded in so devastatingly corrupting the present cosmos and the present earth that God could do nothing with it but to blot it totally out of existence. But Satan did not win such victory. On the contrary, Satan has been decisively defeated. God will reveal the full dimensions of that defeat when he shall renew this very earth on which Satan deceived mankind and finally banish from it all the results of Satan's evil. Hallelujah. Do you see, it's not that, I mean, it's this, it's that the gospel is bigger than we think. It is so much bigger than we think. We tend to think of the gospel, praise God, as Jesus dying on the cross so that I could be forgiven. He died in my place. Hallelujah. And it is that. The gospel, though, is not just good news for humans. It is good news for animals and plants and stars and the earth. Hallelujah. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He didn't say the earth was the Lord's and now he's a bit embarrassed by it because it's all tarnished by sin. It still is his. It is his. He loves this earth. He delights in this earth. And we are part of this earth. It's what he's saying. We are connected with this creation. I love that. It says in Colossians 1. I think we might have it up here, up on the screen. It says this about Jesus. It It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Listen, for in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, here we go, to reconcile to himself, say it with me, all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That Jesus Christ at the cross did something that has changed everything. Now, this is the re- I love that. That changes everything. That Satan did not win. That this is God's earth. And actually, he's going to renew it. But this is the thing I really love, is the how. I mean, that's pretty amazing already, what I've just said. But how is Jesus going to do it? And this is where, oh, it's just so wonderful. It's what we see is that the way that God in Scripture tells us how he's going to do it is through a deep connection with you and me. He's not just going to do it separately over there. You see, one of the things we don't often hear preached on, if I'm honest, is the utter connection in the Bible between humans and the created order around us. The, the connection. In simple terms, the Bible says this, when, when Adam sinned, when we sinned, when humanity sinned, and we fell, all of creation, all of the cosmos fell with us. I don't understand it, but that's what the Bible says. It says in a way that we can't understand that when Adam sinned, when he fell, we fell with him, and the whole of the created order somehow from that moment was infected with sin. Now, that is mind-blowing. You know, the second law of thermodynamics, I'm told, is that this whole thing of that everything is constantly falling apart. Everything, every atom, everything is is constantly falling, and it's never as new as it it was originally. I think physicists are nodding in the house, yes. That's a very simple, clumsy way of putting it, but yes. That's a result, I think, of the fall. Things are falling apart. They weren't there. It's because of Adam and Eve's sin. Now, listen, this is what the Bible says. As they fell and all of the cosmos fell with it, including the earth, when one day all of God's people now rise, as it says in John chapter 5, it says Jesus will return and the dead will rise. Stick with me. As we rise, guess what? All of creation will rise with us as we are clothed in new stunning glorious bodies, eternal bodies, the Bible says. So this wonderful earth and this cosmos will be clothed with us. It's stunning. And you think, well, Tom, okay, I can just about see the logic. I can just about see the connection. But how can you possibly expect me to believe this? I kind of like this church up until this moment. And now it's just gone into that weird place. I thought it was kosher. I thought it was okay. What are you? I've never heard this. This is crazy. Can I say this? I understand and sympathize, particularly perhaps if you're not a Christian here today. As I was for most of my life, up until age 20. But this is the deal breaker. Are you ready? This is the deal breaker. If I just said that and left it at that, you, you, and you just got to somehow trust it's going to happen one day, I, I would understand. I would very be very sympathetic with the skepticism. But there is one small slash massive event, which kind of means, if I'm honest, I'm pretty confident it's going to happen. It's called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ came back from the dead at Calvary, it wasn't just that the father was saying, brilliant job, son, although it was doing that. It wasn't just saying that now death will be be no more, although it was saying that. As Jesus came back from the dead and was in his new body and walked around for 40 days on planet Earth, he did that deliberately so we could look at him and hear about people who looked at him and go, oh my word, he is the very beginning of that new created order. He is the firstborn among many brothers. Hallelujah. It's already happened. So you might think, I don't believe that and I don't blame you. It sounds a bit crazy. But the reality is, the resurrection sounds crazy, and that actually happened. And it is worthy of getting passionate about. Because listen, you might feel rubbish. Many of you will. Your emotions go up and down and round about. They are unpredictable, weird things. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the historic, say historic, the historic event of eternity. It is that important. And if, it's, if it never happened, then everything else is just rubbish. But it did happen, friends, and, and whether you emotionally feel a lot or not is secondary. It is the fact that your mind is convinced. As we raise our children, as they hear about the good news in, in our classes, as you approach the end of your life, it will always be about the resurrection of Jesus. It is about what has happened. It is the greatest event. It is the deal breaker. It is the thing that leaves atheists with their mouth open. I don't know how to respond to that. And it is the wonderful thing that even when you feel like such a wally for trying to explain it to your non-Christian friends, well, the Bible says, and they think, what are you talking about? A new heavens and a new earth with resurrected bodies? I know, but bear with me. Don't punch me. It's already kind of happened once. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if there's that, even if you're just 1% still with me, that's all right. If you just remember that one point, Jesus came back from the dead. I think Tom said that. That is the hinge. That is the hinge. And I just say this as an aside. Listen, I don't, it's so easy to not preach this stuff because there's a certain level of complexity to it. But you're not. You're, you're, I want us to grow together as a family, amen? I want us to eat on meat. Because it changes how you view the Bible. You don't go through passages and go, hmm, a bit weird. Oh, no, actually, it hinges and it links together. But I want to finish by doing this. I don't just want your mind to be convinced, although that's where we start. I want your imaginations to be inflamed. Remember what we said right at the beginning, it's one of the biggest battles we face is the battle for the imagination. A sanctified imagination is being lost. And so we poo-poo huge swathes of Scripture, arrogantly saying to God, I can't imagine that, so it can't be true. Oh, it's awful. It's awful and it offends God. So we come humbly and say, God, what does your word say about what the new earth is going to be like? And there's lots that it says, but this passage that we have before us, Revelation 21, it's the perhaps just the it's this beautiful passage that talks about a new earth really being at the center of a new city. The city of God. The city of God. The city of God. 15 times it says in Revelation about this city, an actual physical city, an incredible city. And, and you might say, isn't this just a figure of speech, Tom, the city? Maybe it is. But where, I mean, Jesus has got a, a physical resurrected body, right? So why can't it be a physical resurrected earth with a physical eternal city? Why? We may say, oh, you know, it's, it's just metaphoric, Tom. You know, the word city doesn't have to be literal. Well, Maybe. But why would God use the word city again and again and again? It kind of—he knows we know what a city is, right? He could have just said it's going to be this thing that you can't comprehend, but he didn't. He said it's a city. Now I can—I can almost feel some of you going, "Oh, I'm trying to get excited, Tom," but I, I live in Canterbury for a reason. If I love cities, I'd—I'd li- I'd live in London. Canterbury's kind of this sort of. It's not really a city, is it? Let's be honest. It kind of is, don't get offended, but it kind of isn't, let's be honest. It's this little nice place. But, but listen, I, you know, I, I believe that actually, that this city that we see, and we're about to just meditate on briefly as we finish, I believe the more we meditate on what this incredible place will be like, I genuinely believe it's, it's not a disappointment. <laughs> I think it's unbelievable. There's three things I want to say about it that we can see from Revelation 21. It's a stunning city. It's a sympathetic city, and it is a safe city. Let me just show you what I mean. First of all, it says this in Revelation uh, chapter one, uh, chapter 21, verse 2. It says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I love this. You see, many of us, me and Josie were in London this week, and we had a nice time, but she made the comment, she said, why is it? Why is it whenever you go to a big city, it's always like half-finished? Do you know what I mean? You'll be like, Houses of Parliament, wow. And then next door, there's this is like massive construction <laughs> site and like you know sort of all these bollards. And wherever you go to a major city, it's always like that. There's always this half-finished feel to it because people are constantly investing in it and building in it. So the actual impact is, it's amazing in some ways and there's ma- amazing bits of beauty there, but then you will always see this kind of construction site feel around it because that is... Earthly cities, they're like that. But this city, this city, I love it. It is like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if you, if you were to ever say to a bride when she's been adorned, you're not, you're not quite ready, love. You know, you're a brave person. When, when you think of a bride that is adorned for her husband, I love that phrase, adorned. I mean, (laughs) there's something about that moment, isn't there? Even. Even average looking people can look stunned. No, no, no. I just but there's something. <laughs> something no, I just shouldn't have said that. But it's tr- kind of true. You know, just you know, it, it's just there's something about that moment that every hair is in place, every bit of makeup is just perfect. There's something that God wants us to understand. It goes on to say, in verse 10, look at this with me. It says, He carried me in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God. I mean, what? You can't say that. Isaac Anton. God ties his glory to a place, a physical city. It's having the glory of God. Its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 18. The wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. Now listen. This city that John saw, and I do believe, is what the Bible describes as the end place. And I love this because it's, it's, it's mind-blowing b- beautiful. It even says this in chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. One commentator thinks that word tree there is actually collective, that's just huge amounts of trees. I love that. You see, see, if you're a kind of country bumpkin like me, you like going to the city, but you have to leave the city to go to anywhere that's pretty, right? You have to go to go back to but actually in this city that it describes here, it is so stunning, so gorgeous that even within the urbanness of it, as it were, there is this stunning blending of beauty, this river these trees of life, this place that is just unimaginably stunning. I believe that in the new earth, it is absolutely possible that there will be the continuation of the creativity that we see around us now. I believe that. Will there be scientists in heaven on the new earth? Why not? Will there be musicians and artists and potters and painters? Why not? You see, some people think, oh, it will be like a return to Eden. I think in a way it kind of will be, but even, you know, will it be back to a time when we didn't know about wheels and fire? I I don't think so. I think it will be a a place where the very best elements of what has progressed already will be somehow carried on into that place. Are you telling me there's going to be no Mozart in heaven? No way. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that in this place there will be this incredible, stunning quality to it in terms of its physicality, but in terms of the people there. I genuinely believe. You see, sometimes if we think that the end of this life, the end of time, it would be like the end of time. I don't believe it will be the end of time. I think time will continue. But we'll just have, there'll never be the pressure of time. You see, the fall, the fall wasn't like the end of time, was it? And then everything stopped. It just was a marker. And we've carried on, and I think in the same way we'll carry on. We'll be carrying into eternity all the good bits of planet Earth. Hallelujah! I, I believe that with all my heart. You see, sometimes we go. I just I struggle to imagine this, Tom. I struggle to my to, to get my head round it. Will it? Re- could it really be like this? And I felt like God was saying, "Oh, come on! Will you give me a break? I'm God. You know, I can do this. I can. I'm the Jasper, the Onyx, the pure gold. It's no problem. You know, I I can deliver." I've spoken to you about what it's going to be like, and I can really deliver this to you. That One of the problems is, because our imaginations are so stunted, when we read this, we just go, I can't quite imagine it. It seems a bit weird. And so we just, we just, you know, our rationalistic brain kicks in, and we lose. We lose what God wants us to, to realize is, is real. Is that it's going to be a continuation in many ways. Of all the wonderful physical elements of this life, but on a new, raised, renewed earth. Do you know, even now I think I struggle to get my head around what God's already made. Yeah, my imagination is rubbish. Do you know that they've just discovered on Mars a volcano that is no less than 79,000 feet high? Everest is 28,000 feet high, that's a lot bigger that's three times the size. Its base is 380 miles wide. So we would literally cover the state of Nebraska. That's one volcano on one planet right now that really is there. You see, the problem is, is I can't get my head around that, let alone what God is trying to stir our hearts with about the new earth. This place of unimaginable, stunning beauty. But what it means is this, is even if we just start to grasp it, what it means is this. For those of you who here are particularly hardwired to long for beauty and creativity and things to be amazing, I want to honour that in you. That that is not just some little aspect of it. That's because you're longing for a stunning, amazing, beautiful God who one day you will be face to face with in a stunning, amazing, beautiful place. I, I mean, I was just thinking about this, like this week, I was thinking, my mind was thinking, I wonder if there'll be beauticians and hairdressers in eternity. Why not? Why not? And do you know what? There's a friend of mine called Vanessa Smith. She's a hairdresser. She's in the Whistable location. I was just, I literally was driving to Morrison's thinking about this, thinking, I wonder, because I, I can be so, if I'm honest, I can be so arrogant and think certain things are like unspiritual. I can. And I just thought God said, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare do that. That isn't just some earth warm-up thing. And in heaven, we're just like singing forever. Ever. This is part of who he is. Do you see? Making things beautiful. And suddenly, I was in Morrison's, literally thinking this thought, and I parked up, and who was in front of me? It was Vanessa Smith, doing her makeup. And she was all embarrassed. I said, Vanessa, this is crazy. God just put you in my mind, and you're an amazing hairdresser. And I think there's a good chance you're going to be an amazing hairdresser on the new earth. And she was like... Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but do you understand? It 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 changes how you view your life now. It changes how you view, it, it goes on. One of the other things about the city, it's not just going gonna, gonna to be a stunning city, but it will be. I've I've, I've called it a sympathetic city because it says here, you see, in verse three about it, it says. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with them. He will dwell with them. He won't visit them occasionally. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain evermore. For the former things have passed away. When I think about the cities of this world... I tend to think of lonely places. I tend to think of, you know, you've heard about these secret cities that are being discovered in China and North Korea where they're just like slave camps. And cities, we can often think of these lonely, hard places. But this city is a place where, in a way, I can't understand. It says that God himself will be so (laughs) hands-on... So He won't be delegating the tear wiping to anyone else. He will be there to say, I love you. I'm so for you. I'm so excited that you're here with me. When I think about the evil that is going on in this world and men like, well, I won't name names, but presidents who are in countries and they are just evil to the core and they are abusing people and they just remove themselves into their little palaces and abuse their people, it is right that we feel a sense of this is so wrong. And for those of you who are particularly hardwired for like caring professions, perhaps you're a teacher or a nurse or you work in care homes or in the NHS, or you're just a mum or a dad or a small group leader who cares about your community and you care about people. It's not some small thing. It's because we are the city church. Amen? We believe that this city that one day we shall fully see with our eyes is meant to break out every single day. Is that as you're about your work, you're not doing a small thing, that will be just forgotten in eternity. You are in some way representing the king who deeply cares about people. Think about that when you're at work. Think about that as you approach your attitude to your wife and your kids. This is real. It's not some warm-up. This is the beginning of the new age is what the Bible says. It's already beginning that we're called to be bringers of this new glorious age right now into, the, into East Kent or wherever it is that you live. We see our lives as profoundly worthy, as profoundly important. Why? Because in eternity, part of that city is going to be that it's going to be a place where there is the tenderness, the kindness. If, you, if, you're, deal, if, if you're like me, one of the things that just joins me in Josie so deeply is a hatred of loneliness. I hate loneliness with all my heart. It's, I just loathe it. I loathe it. So I want to publicly honor any of you here. If you're a small group leader or you just organically care about people in this church who can get missed, I honour you with all my heart and God loves you. And it is right that you're hardwired like that. And you always care, even when you get hurt, because it's something of what God will one day reveal forever. It's an eternal thing. It's an eternal hardwiring. And so you see your life, even if no one else sees it. He sees your life and what you do right now, the way you care about people. It is so important. And it won't just be stop and then we begin something new. It's going to be, in some senses, a continuation for eternity. The God you're going to spend your life with will be so merciful and kind and loving and gentle. And the more that we give ourselves now to representing him and enjoying him for ourselves and pouring him in to the lives around us, the more that this is the beginning of the new age now, hallelujah. The resurrection age has begun. We wait for it to be finally consummated, but it isn't, It isn't like it's never going to happen. It really will happen, but it's already beginning. And finally, this city is not just a sympathetic city. It is also a safe one. You see, again, when I think about cities, (laughs) I tend to think of, I was in Turkey a couple of weeks ago in the city, and I was in the uh, boarding lounge chatting to this really nice guy. He even lent me his phone. He was a lovely chap, I thought. And then moments before we got on the plane, they had this extra security check. He freaked out. He would not let them go anywhere near his bag. All these guards turned up. I think he had something bad in his bag, was my conclusion. He didn't come on the plane. And I was talking to him, and I was thinking, maybe the Lord's going to let, let me share something with this guy. About it. And, and, and it was like in an instant, I thought, wow, he was a really good liar. The next day, in that same country, just a few miles away, was one of the biggest bombs that's ever gone off in Turkey. You'll know about it. I was just down the road from there. And for me, cities don't, I don't think, oh, safe. Yay. That's, I don't feel that. But this city, this city, this city, it says here, I love this. In verse 12, it says this about this city. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. I love that. It won't, it doesn't need a wall. It doesn't need it anymore because there's no more enemies. Hallelujah. But just for the sake of it, you great wall so you just can go wow our God is so strong I love it. it says the gates will never shut in verse 25 it's a little phrase, throwaway phrase why does it say that it's saying that because do you know what part of it because it means everyone will have access to the king even if you feel like you're just so unimportant you're so not because of what Jesus has done you have direct access to the king 24 hours a day seven days a week hallelujah but it also means that you don't have to shut the gates we keep the door unlocked right here, mate? We don't even have keys. Woohoo! It's safe! Hallelujah. Now listen, if you are struggling with fear in your life, if you are struggling with fear about the unknown, this week, some of you are gripped by fear, as I'm saying this, and you're not making the connection. God wants something of the atmosphere of that place that is nearer than you think to fill your everyday life, as you face pain and suffering, as you do. We do not suffer as the world suffers, is what the Bible says. Because of the reality of the place that God is preparing for us. I love it. it says the streets are pure gold. Pure gold. I mean, people. some people poo that. Why would that be gold? I don't know. But I like it. I've had some brilliant conversations on tarmac. Let alone on gold. It's like it's so safe around here. Let's have like diamond handles doesn't say that. That's my own invention. But I think God might like it. He's like, yeah, son, you're getting into it. It's so safe. We are gripped by fear. We are. So many of us. And this is saying, this is intensely practical. This is where we're going. We we are not going somewhere. We are staying. (laughs) This is the earth. This is the Lord, this earth. He is coming. We are staying with him. We're not floating off going, oh, by earth, thank goodness. No, no, we, we are the states, is what the Bible says. If you know Jesus here, by the grace of God. So let me say this, if you in your heart, you're hardwired, you're, you're just, even now, the way that you, you're hardwired for protection and for a sense of justice, some of you are police people here, you work in the prison service, your parents, you just, there's something in you that really yearns to bring safety in your life. Something deep is in you. I want to honor that in you as well and say, do you know, that's not some small thing. That's because you're like, this is God's place. There shouldn't be these people doing the things that they do. That isn't okay. Do you understand? We have to be a church which doesn't go, oh, oh well. No, no. This is, this is God's planet. And he wants us to be a people who say, you know, I care about these things. When we give money to refugees so that they can actually get out of the most terrible situations, it's not just to be nice, it's because we will spend eternity with some of them who know Jesus. And we are saying this is an expression of it. Some of you are in real positions of influence and there's something in you. I was talking to a teacher recently and she just said to me, she just went through this long list of all of the troubled situations in her class, the parents, the relatives, the friends of these kids. She was just broken. And she was saying, I'm carrying this. I'm carrying this. I just thought, that's such an eye-opener. So many of you are in teaching here, and you carry that. And it's a heavy weight. But you know what? God loves you for it. He loves the fact that for you it's not just a job. He loves that. Some of you are TAs here, and you get, you, you get overlooked at times. I want to honor you here today for the role you play whatever your label, you get the point. I'm trying to say that there's something in us that has to care about the things that God cares about because ultimately this world is not meant to be like it. We're called to be those who give ourselves to it. At the cross, Jesus Christ experienced the most ugly thing that ever could happen so that we could enjoy a stunning, beautiful place for eternity. At the cross, Jesus Christ was experienced the most righteous but severe and and se- biggest separation that could ever occur so that you and I for all eternity could be utterly in the presence of a sympathetic kind god at the cross jesus christ he was the one who experienced in a sense the most dangerous scary thing that could ever happen the righteous wrath of god so you and I forever forever could be safe knowing that we will never face that hallelujah Hallelujah. See, I can't imagine this, if I'm honest. I can imagine, I get glimpses. But I feel that when I look at the character of Jesus, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that he's pretty impressive and that the place we're going to be together in is going to be really, really amazing. And it's like he just whispers to us today, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to dwell upon this? when you walk out of that door in a minute, will you trust me enough? Will your faith have expression that you will think about this? As we heard right at the beginning, setting your minds for action. Will you trust me enough that this will become a part of your everyday life? That you will, your, for you, faith doesn't just mean I believe in Jesus. Do you see what I mean? It's not, faith is not, I just believe in Jesus, I'm forgiven. Great, anyway, back to uh, my job. No, faith, faith is believing the whole gospel. The whole beautiful, stunning thing. That the whole of my now life, every day. And what happens is when they start to get into you, suddenly your, your, day, your, your, your life now becomes more alive. Because you're not just suddenly thinking, oh, this is just earth and then there'll be this heaven. you are think, I'm, I'm excited about unwrapping the present. We, when Daisy recently had uh, her birthday, me and Josie first thought about, we got on a bike. And uh, we first thought about not telling her we got it. So it was just like, oh, just, you know, we've got something nice, trust us. And she was like, right. Trying to imagine something, and, I, and we both said, "Nah, let's tell her we got the bike from Go Outdoors, the last one." I'm like, Daisy, we got it, the really pretty one." But you got to wait; it's in the garage. Don't go in there. She was like, "Oh, ah! so excited because she could actually imagine it." That's what God's done for us. He wants us to be a people who go. You can imagine it. There will be content. It will be so much better. But you will be able to. You can live your life now. Now you know many of these things I'll be doing in eternity. I. I had, uh, me and Josie had an amazing, and the girls had an amazing holiday in California this summer. And a friend of mine called Travis, um, who lives there, he said, Tom, you guys have got to go to San Diego. And I was like, all right, why is that then? He was like, the beach. The beaches of San Diego. And I was like, mate, I live in Kent. <laughs> 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 have you heard of Whitstable? <laughs> have you heard of Ramsgate? <laughs> I know what beaches are like, my friend. I'm not really a beach guy. I like the mountains, you know? And I was like, all right. Anyway, we went there, and Josie was like, oh, please, please. So we drove for seven hours. Thank you very much. I drove for seven hours. uh, Down to San Diego. And we got there, and we were hot and sweaty, and we booked into our little hotel thing. And end of the day, and we both said, should we go to the beach? We've only got, okay. So we set the sat-nav. We sort of went through San Diego. It was crazy. We made it to the beach. And I will never forget the moment we found this just little place to, 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 to park. Go out of the car after a long day. We came up, the, up this sort of a hill and just over the edge of a beach. I mean, capital B. This uh, it's it's hard to even describe. It was just like the light was different. It was it was just a slightly other world. It was unreal. And we went down to the beach and at first we were kind of in classic British people, you know, muted in our enjoyment of it. Little toe in here. In the end, the girls like, who, it's so warm, Dad boiling. It's like a bath. And over those minutes, they got more and more excited. In the end, Poppy stripped off her dress. And you don't do that in San Diego, I don't think. She was whirling around in the water. And then she stripped off her knickers as well. She was just totally nudie, jumping around in here. And I was just sitting there. And I, I just remember thinking, I think this is the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> I can't even describe why. But it was the combination of the people I love in a place that I kind of got I knew what a beach was like, but I can't even really describe why it was so much more amazing. But it just was. It was so stunning. And Travis had said, trust me, it is worth it. And I feel like Jesus would just say, trust me. Should we stand to our feet? I would have loved us to worship our socks off, but we we have run over time. But we can worship. This is is one of the things I realise is, I don't know what eternity is going to be like when it comes to worship. I think it's going to be amazing. But I think one of the things I've realized is, I think because in eternity on the new earth, I think we will be doing many of the things that we do now. And I think it will be all, though, in the atmosphere of worship, like, like the, the, the like of which we've never known. I'm sure there'll be times where we'll all gather and just worship, worship. But you know what I mean? I feel like there's a picture you see of what it's going to be like is that in the, in the everyday life of eternity, it will all be done unto the Lord. So even now, as we come to an end, actually we're not coming to an end, amen? We are walking into. Lord, I want to pray. I want to pray for us. Hold out your hands. Let me pray for us. Lord, I love this. I love this, people, with all my heart. I love this church. And I love it because you love it. <laughs> we're so unimpressive. We are such a ragtag bunch. But you died for us not just for our souls, but for our bodies and our minds anyone here who's sick, I pray healing into their body. I pray release healing because in that place there will be no more healing. I pray where there's aching and pains, if there's sleep problems, I pray peace. I pray as of now, there will be a breaking of that in the name of Jesus. Where there's difficult neighbours and there's stress in hearts, I pray peace. 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 Let your grace be sufficient. I pray where there's work worries and people this week, as they think about this week, they are feeling crushed at times about the things coming up. I pray peace. Let the peace of Jesus fill us. Lord, we bless you that we will be together for eternity. And Lord, you will be the hero. You will be the centrepiece. But Lord God, it won't be like we are inconsequential. You delight in us. I pray, let let the creative people this week go to work with a hundred times more passion. Let those who, who pour their lives into people and caring and connecting communities, social workers, and I pray for let there be peace in our communities because of the new city that's to come through your people, glimpsing of it already now. I pray for doctors and nurses and policemen. I pray, Lord God, would you equip your church? I pray for students, Lord, as they learn and their minds are expanded. Let alongside that the expansion that comes from your biblical worldview, fill our hearts. And I pray most of all for anyone here who would say, I am not a Christian, but I want to be in that place. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be in that city. I pray like you did with my heart 17 years ago. Win my heart, Lord. Win their heart. Lord, would you, would you captivate us as a church? As C.S. Lewis famously said, those who have done most in this life are those who have been most preoccupied with the next. Lord, we pray for that. Fill our minds with what that place will be like so that we make very wise decisions, bold, courageous, generous decisions this week. And all God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening.